0: So as we get started this morning in a new new season and a new sermon series, um, for those of us who have been here at Summit Ridge for any length of time, we have done Advent now for the past, I don't know how many years. And what is beautiful about the Advent season is that um, Advent literally means coming or arrival. And I love how one pastor describes Advent. And, and this pastor uses the following is just illustration to do this suppose you and your mom okay you have to pretend you're a child okay for this illustration suppose you and your mom get separated in the grocery store and you start to get sta- scared and panic and don't know which way to go and you run to the end of an aisle and just before you start to cry you see a shadow on the floor at the end of, a, of the aisle that looks just like your mom It makes you really happy and you feel hope. But which is better, the happiness of seeing the shadow or having your mom step around the corner and it's really her? That's the way it is when Jesus comes to be our high priest. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is the replacement of the shadows with the real thing. I love that. It is the replacement of the shadows for the real thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this about Advent. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Not just shadows, but the real thing. The real thing. So my hope and my prayer is, church, that as we start and as we journey through the next four weeks of Advent, That we would understand from a point of the fact that we know that we are not all that we should be. We know that we are imperfect. We know that we are broken. We know that we are sinful. We know that things are not the way that they should be. That life is oftentimes hard and difficult. That that coming from that point, that we know that going through this season, my hope is, is that we look forward to something greater to come. Something real. That is my hope in my prayer as we move through this Advent season for all of us this morning. So today, we're gonna focus in on this wonderful gift of hope. And by the way, for the next several weeks after this, um, we'll be moving through not only hope, but peace, joy, and love. And that's what the Advent wreath will be symbolizing as we move through this Advent season, those themes there. So here is the thing. Is that what, as we look at today, the gift of, the, of hope, um, what is it about hope that is so special for us? What is it about hope that is so incredibly important for us to grasp and for us to share and for us to receive and all of those things in between? What is it about hope that makes it so important for us, so important for us that as part of the Advent season then in the coming of Jesus, that is one of the things that we believe as Christians he has brought is hope so today to help us journey through this we're going to look at psalm 80. now we just completed a series through the book of psalms the entire year we spent on the book of psalms and so we're still going to kind of use psalms as as the guide for us through the advent season here which i have never done before i have never done before and so we're going off road just a little bit just a little bit in doing this which is nothing unusual for summit ridge we do that all the time um And so here we're going to use Psalm 80, the entire Psalm, 19 verses, to go through and for us to discover how it is that hope is here. Why is hope here? And as we work through this Psalm, I want to share with you this morning three reasons that I see in this passage as to why I believe hope is here. Now, as we get started with this Psalm, let me give you a little background. This Psalm is is a song, and, and you'll, you'll see that in just a little bit as we go through that. In other words, there are three stanzas, and in between those stanzas is a chorus. It's the same chorus. And by the way, just FYI, in any time in scripture that a, that a, a phrase, a verse, a word, etc., cetera, repeats itself consistently through a passage in which you are reading, chances are that's a good area in which to focus in on. Chances are that is the point of the passage. Okay, that is the point of the passage and and the stanzas in between that just kind of highlight or set the stage for that chorus or for that verse and repeated several times. And that's what we're going to see here. So if we're in familiar with music in any way, you're going to see this structure in this psalm this morning. Now, this psalm was written by a guy by the name of Asaph and Asaph. There are three Asaphs, by the way, in the book of Psalms. Three guys are named Asaph. Okay, not a, it was a, apparently a, not an unusual name to have, um, Asaph. And so there was one Asaph who was a Levite who served during the time of David. That's not this Asaph. There was another Asaph who was a father, um, who served a little bit later. And then there's a third Asaph who is the son of that father who actually served King Hezekiah as a recorder. And, and both the father and son are also known as lyrists, poem uh, 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 poetic people, um, poets, if you will, uh, those who kind of wrote these things. It is in that context, this son, Aesop, who wrote this psalm, okay? And as we're going to see, there's a reason why we think he's the one who wrote this song being what he wrote here. So with that in mind, let's dive into this psalm this morning and discover why I think, based on this psalm, why hope is here. And here's the first one. Hope is here because God still sits on the throne. And let me just say, it's not just any throne. It's a very specific throne that God sits on. So, beginning with verse 1 of Psalm 80, let me read this. This is what Asaph writes. O shepherd of Israel, pay attention, you who lead Joseph like a flock of sheep, you who sit enthroned above the cherubim, reveal your splendor in the sight of Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Reveal your power come and deliver us now here's the chorus verse three. Oh god restore us smile on us then we will be delivered now here's the situation this is how we probably know this son asaph who served king hezekiah probably wrote this song okay here's probably what was going on is that what was happening is the assyrians were coming into northern israel and they were taking over northern israel and taking the inhabitants of northern israel into captivity And the southern part of Israel looked at what was happening and got really, really, obviously, rightly so, nervous that what happened to the northern part of Israel was gonna happen to them, which eventually it would, just not right away, okay? And so all of a sudden now, you have this incredibly painful, dark period in which it seems as though God has turned away from Israel and has allowed the Assyrians to come in and to take over the land and not only that, to take the inhabitants of the land, the Jewish people, and cart them off to Assyria to exile them. And how do we know this? Because of the tribes mentioned. Manasseh and Ephraim are northern tribes. Benjamin is a southern tribe. Okay? And so this the, the Asaph is kind of covering the gamut here of Israel. And so this was not a, a pretty time in Israel's history. This was an incredibly dark time in Israel's history. This was a time in which all of a sudden now things were happening that Israel thought that God would be there for them. And they find out that God is not there to protect them from this invading force. And the worst fears have happened that the land that they were in, the land that God had given them, was now being taken away from them. And not only that, they were now being carted off to a different land. Incredibly hopeless time and yet in the midst of this asaph writes and pleads to god and he says this in verse one of the psalm i just read you who sit enthroned above cherubim reveal your splendor i love that now if anybody's seen raiders of the lost ark you know the throne on which god sits on everyone knows the ark Everyone knows the Ark, right? We've seen, we've seen, right? I hope, right? It's okay to admit it, okay? It's okay to admit it. Um, and, and we've seen the Ark, and, and, we've, and we, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know you want nothing to do with that Ark. You don't want to open it, you don't want to touch it, you want nothing to do with it because bad things happen to those who do not treat the Ark with a great deal of respect. Okay, right? It just, it's just the way it is. However, that being said, in the midst of the fact that this beautiful ark, the the, the presence of God himself among his people. And by the way, the Israelites, they knew the the power of the ark and they would take the ark into battle with them, knowing that as long as they had the ark, God was with them. In fact, they would take the ark and the Levites with the ark would go first into battle. And and it was just in almost always the Israelites would win. Now, there was a time when that didn't happen. You can read about that later when the Philistines actually c- captured the ark and they discovered who God was in that whole, whole thing. But that's a, that's a story for another time. It's, it's great. It's great. Anyways, um, all of a sudden now, however, on top of that ark is, are two angels. That's cherubims. Cherubims are angels with their wings stretched out like this. And so you have one angel like this. You have another angel like that. And their wings touch. In between that, or in that space there, is God's throne. And it's called the mercy seat. It's not the judgment seat. It's not the I hate you seat. That's not the seat. The seat, the throne that God sits on, is the mercy seat. This is what Asaph is writing. Oh God, I know bad things are happening to us. I I just, I'm coming to you, the one who sits on your throne, not a throne of judgment, but rather a throne of mercy. Please, please show yourself to us. In fact, he says this, in the sight of Ephraim, Benjamin, Manasseh, reveal your power, come and deliver us, help us. And I cannot help to think that as Asaph was writing this, that there was some sense of hope that he knew that, guess what, I'm appealing to the God who sits on the mercy seat. I'm the God who sits on the mercy seat, and I know that at one point he will be merciful to us, that although he may not be merciful right now, although he may not be happy with us right now, he will be merciful to us because he sits on the mercy seat. Let me just say this, church, and I've shared this before, I'll share this again. I think sometimes as Christians, and by the way, the pool I largely swim in is the evangelical pool of Christians. We are really good, I think, at showing the judgment of God. Right? I mean, we, we make up sayings. You want to you wanna be doing that when Jesus comes back? Kind of thing. I mean, we... We're really good at it. Hellfire and brimstone preaching. We scare people out of hell. We're really good at it. Here's the, here's the problem with that, though. That's not our job. Our job isn't to judge. That's God's job. I, I, I was listening to um, uh, some religious uh, 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 leaders talk about righteous anger right? How many of us as Christians, man, we think I can be righteous anger. I mean, I just, and, and the one story we, we quote from it is what? Jesus in the temple overturning the tables and, and making a whip. And we, and we love, I think to some degree, imagining what Jesus is doing in that moment and, 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 and how he is acting. And, and, and maybe we, we might picture him like, you know, just sitting there quietly, just, you know, with some rope kind of intertwining it. People coming up going, hey, Jesus, what are you doing? Well, you'll find out. <laughs> oh, you're going to find out. It's going to happen. It's going to go down here. And he's just making, it's almost like Jesus' belt, you know? you, never, you never, Remember that? You know, your parents, your, or your dad, you know, you knew you were in trouble when he took off his belt kind of thing. I mean, does, does that not kind of somewhat as of a picture of, of, of how we might perceive what Jesus was like in that temple time right there, getting ready to just bring it down, you know? And then all of a sudden we just kind of picture him just going in there and just taking tables and chairs and just throwing them all out of the way and taking that whip and, you know, just, just going to town. And we're like, yeah, Jesus, you go get him. That's my man. <laughs> and we take that to some degree and we say, if Jesus can do it, I can do it. And what I loved about this discussion of these religious leaders on this podcast I was listening to, these pastors, and, 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 and was quoting a philosopher, one of my favorite Christian philosophers, um, And it was just beautiful. This philosopher said in a a writing, he's since passed, um, is that, listen, yes, there is such a thing as righteous anger, however, if I'm honest with myself, I can only trust Jesus with that righteous anger and not me. I think that makes sense. You see, Asaph was appealing to the God who sits on the mercy seat, not the judgment seat. I think so many times, we want Jesus to judge. And what I, what I fear for us is this, church. If you read the Bible, understand this. When, God, when God's judgment comes, which it will, we are the ones who get judged first. We are the ones who get judged first. Israel was judged first before any of the other nations were judged. Judge, I mean, God almost always, if you read the Bible, old to new, it is almost always, God's people who get judged first. Jesus saved the harshest words and the most in the in the in the clearing of the temple, not for the Gentiles, who didn't know him, but for those who did. He didn't call the Gentiles "you brood of vipers." We like that too, don't we? Ooh, Jesus, man, you know how to lay it down. I love that vocabulary, "you brood of vipers." And we save that language for people who don't even know Jesus and we wonder why they don't come. <laughs> they get that enough. Hope is here because God sits on his throne and it is a throne of mercy. Now, number two, here's another reason why I think hope is here it's because God does not remain angry forever. Yes, God gets angry. Yes, God has righteous anger. Yes, when God gets angry, There is a good reason why he is angry, but yet his anger doesn't last forever. Listen to these words out of verses four through seven of Psalm 80. "O Lord, God of heaven's armies, how long will you remain angry at your people while they pray to you? You have given them tears as food. You have made them drink tears by the measure. You have made our neighbors dislike us and our enemies insult us. O God of heaven's armies, restore us smile on us, that's the chorus again, then we will be delivered. You see, Asaph recognized, yeah, God's angry with us. You see, Israel, the reason why this was all happening in Israel, because years and years and years of disobedience, years and years and years of God pleading through prophets, through his word, through his commandments, for the people to come back to him, for the people to worship him, for the people to honor them, honor him. All of those things. The people of Israel, time and time again, rejected all of that. Killed the prophets, ignored the commandments, and did whatever they wanted to do, which was, i.e., indulge in the religion of the land in which they were in, and and worshiping idols, and engaging in, in acts that were awful and ungodly. And after years and years and years of this, God said, I've had enough. I've had enough. And all of a sudden now, in that moment, what he does is that he recognizes Asaph recognizes that god is angry at israel let me just say this church yes god does get angry god does get angry that is an emotion that he has that is an emotion that is good it's not a bad emotion to be angry god does get angry he does get angry at us he does get angry at his creation and yes there may be times that there is punishment. Now, here's the problem as a pastor, and I've shared this before, I'll share it again. I rarely know if I am being punished because of a sin I have committed, although I think I am, I hope I am, I deserve it, or if it's just because of someone else's decisions or because I live in a fallen world, that's what's happening, or whatever else. We never know for sure exactly why suffering happens. We can maybe have glimpses of it, but not, but not total picture, a clear picture of it. Here's the thing, though, is that God does not remain angry forever. Asaph knew this. He knew that although we're crying, our enemies are are coming after us, we we have shed tears over this, we are still praying to you because we know that although you are angry at us now, you will not be angry at us forever. And this is backed up by other passages. Let me read Psalm 103, verses 8 through 10. It says this, The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He is patient and demonstrates great, loyal love. He does not always accuse and does not always and does not stay angry. He does not deal with us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us as our misdeeds deserve. Micah 7, 18 says this. Who is a God like you? Great question. Who forgives sin and pardons the rebellion of those who remain among his people? Who does not stay angry forever but delights in showing loyal love? God. God does not stay angry forever and he delights in showing showing loyal love. God does not remain angry forever. It's beautiful. Last reason, last reason of why I think hope is here. Hope is here because God will return back to us. God will return back to us. Now, last part of this psalm, verse 8. You uprooted a vine from Egypt, You drove out nations and transplanted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered by its shadow, the highest cedars by its branches. Its branches reached the Mediterranean Sea, and its shoots the Euphrates River. Why did you break down its walls so that all who pass by pluck its fruit? The wild boars of the forest ruin it, the insects of the field feed on it. Oh God of heaven's army, come back, look down from heaven and take notice. Take care of this vine, the root your right hand planted, the shoot you made to grow. It's burned and cut down. May those who did this die because you are displeased with them. And may you give support to the one you have chosen, to the one whom you've raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you, revive us, and we will pray to you. O oh Lord, God of heaven's armies, restore us, smile on us, then we will be delivered. Now, here's what Asaph is saying. The root that he's referring to is Israel. In other words, God took Israel out of Egypt, where Israel was, replanted Israel in the promised land, where it grew and became fruitful and and wonderful there. And they thrived in this land. And now all of a sudden they find themselves in a situation where all of a sudden these invading armies are coming in. And they're taking Israel out of this land. They're taking the best They're taking the fruits and all of that stuff out of the land. And Asaph is saying, guess what? Come back to us. Restore us. And Asaph is confident that he will do this. Return to us. Restore us. In fact, that's what the word for Hebrew in restore means. It means to turn back or return. Don't stay away forever, God. Come back. Come back. And when I think about this, I think in many ways, Advent is not simply an arrival, but a return. It's a return of Jesus back to his creation. A return of Jesus back to his earth. A return of Jesus back to his people. He returns because he is merciful. He is compassionate and seeks to restore all of us. And his creation. And his creation. Now, those are the three reasons. I'm not done. It's way too early to be done. Okay? I want to focus at the beginning where I said, if, if there's a passage or a verse that's repeated several times, that's worth looking at. I want to look at that, that chorus. And the chorus, again, is this. O Lord, God of heaven's armies, restore us. Smile on us. Then we will be delivered. I love that. You know what fries I love the most out of this? Is smile on us the Hebrew word um, for that smile or face um, is simply uh, it means it's a plural word in other words the word for face in Hebrew is is not singular it's plural in other words it's it's fascinating we as humans but more importantly God doesn't just have one face God has faces he has faces okay that's what God He has faces. There, there, there's the angry face, there's the joyful face, there's the jealous face, there's the kind face, there's the compassionate face, there's all sorts of a variety of faces that God shows, which is really interesting, because if you look in the Old Testament, if someone saw the face of God, their immediate reaction wasn't be like, "Oh, this is wonderful. I got to see God." No, their, their immediate reaction was, "Oh my gosh, I'm dying. I'm dead. I saw the face of God, and I'm going to die. It wasn't a joyful time. And yet that didn't stop people in the Old Testament from wanting to see God's face. Moses wanted to see God's face, and God told him straight up, you can't see this face that I'm showing you. You can't. Jacob, on the night before he met his brother Esau, who was estranged from him for 20 years, wrestles with an angel the entire night and sees the face of God. And is reconciled with his brother. What I love about this. Is that there is this beautiful idea. Of, of, of a recognition that God has faces. Not just a face. And as is true with God. So it is true with us. We have faces. Don't we? We have faces. In fact let me just say this. Um, like God. Like God. We don't just have one face we have many faces and our faces or expressions are in many ways the primary way we communicate i say this often to people when i'm talking with them and i, I say um, if, I, if i say something that they disagree with they say they, sh- they show it in their face and i said well i could tell you don't you don't agree with that and they said i didn't say anything no but your face did your face showed it we primarily communicate in our facial expressions, long before we ever say anything verbally. In fact, the majority of communication is facial expressions. Just remember that. While you may not be saying something verbally, you are still communicating based on the expression of your face. And so what is so unique is our faces and what we show express what's going on inside. They show our emotional state. The same thing with God. The face he shows us shows who he is. In the same way that what we show is who we are. In fact, Proverbs 15, 13, I don't have it here on the screen, but I'm going to read it. It says this. A joyful heart makes the face cheerful, but by a painful heart, the spirit is broken. Now, I share this because... I have a an idea and I want you to go with me on this if you will I've just shared why I think hope is here and here's the thing I was thinking about this how in the world can we as followers of Jesus share hope have you ever thought about that how do I share hope and, and we think about ways well I can I can give I can um you know just help wherever I can, I can serve and all that kind of stuff. Did you ever think that maybe a great way of sharing hope is in our facial expressions? Is, is in our face? In what we say? People who got to encounter God, are they just, it is a life-changing experience, and we are testaments to that. Of seeing the face of God, seeing the face of Jesus, and being incredibly enamored and changed because we saw a face of God that, chances are, was compassionate, was merciful, was loving, was kind, was caring. It's a beautiful, beautiful face. I want to share with you a poem. I'm not a poem guy, but I love this poem. It's called High Flight written by um, a, a pilot who was in the Royal Canadian Air Force during World War II. And he died at 19. But before he died, he wrote this poem. And I want to read it to you because I think it's just so beautiful, the way of how he pictures this all joy-filled of what he's doing, but more than that, of being able to see and more than that touch the face of God. And he says this, he writes this, Oh, I have slipped the surly bonds of earth. And danced the skies on laughter-silvered wings. Sunward I've climbed and joined the tumbling mirth of sun-split clouds and done a hundred things. You have not dreamed of, wheeled and sword and swung, high in the sunlit silence, hovering there. I've chased the shouting wind along and flung my eager craft through footless halls of air. Up, up, the long, delirious, burning blue. I've topped the wind-swept heights with easy grace where never lark or ever eagle flew and while the silent lifting mind I've trod the high untrustpassed sanctity of space put out my hand and touched the face of God If you have maybe said I think maybe I've heard some of these lines before If you've been alive for more than a minute, chances are you have. Even I remember these words. This, several lines of this poem were used by President Ronald Reagan who memorialized the crewmen and women of the Challenger shuttle. As as they were being launched into space, the shuttle blew up. I'll never forget that, I was in sixth grade. And if you remember, it was the first teacher going into space. And so every school in America had a TV in the classroom to watch live the space shuttle. And Ronald Reagan had to speak about that tragedy. It's generally considered one of the best speeches after a tragedy given. And he quotes the two lines, they slipped the Surrey bonds of Earth to touch the face of God. Oh, what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture. And I I think... For us, we as Christians, we long for that day when we get to slip the surly bonds of this broken earth and touch the face of God. Amen. Because we know when we get to that we're going to see a God who says to us, my wonderful child, my faithful servant, I have loved you more than you could possibly ever know, and now you get to see fully that love which while you were on earth, you couldn't quite experience it all because you couldn't handle it. It was broken, sinful earth. But now you get to experience it all. Let me just say this, church. I say that to say this. We can give a little bit of that hope to this world today. By smiling. In our facial expressions. Greeting each other. With a smile do you ever do you ever get excited to see someone because the person you're going to see just makes you smile just says man i can't wait to be with this person because this person just makes me smile i just I, that's the way i feel oftentimes getting together with jesus i love this time of year do you know why i love this time of year? you don't know why i'm going to tell you why <laughs> one of the reasons why i love i love this time of year for many reasons but one of the reasons why is in the morning And this is why this is where it gets really hard for me to go work out but i I still do it but it's really hard because in the morning when i get up it's nice and cold in the house but more than that it's dark and i get to light a candle yes i like candles don't you judge me (laughs) and i gotta have a quiet time in my lounge chair with an empty house just me and lori because our kids are gone hallelujah and (laughs) And I get to just be with Jesus. And I get to just pray and read and soak in the scriptures. And I love that. I get up at 5, 5.15 to do this. I I do it anyways, but it's just a beautiful time for me to be in the presence of Jesus. And I I, I sometimes picture the fact that, as I am, that Jesus' face is that of a loving Savior who is so overjoyed to have me in his presence that I can't even imagine why. And yet, for some reason, I make him smile. And so do all of you. Do you know that? You make God smile every time you come into his presence. My son is here. My daughter is here. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I I cannot express to you the power of even just simply an expression of a smile that can give hope to people particularly even this time of year. I was reminded of that just a couple of days ago. I was shopping for Christmas presents. Um, not for myself. Sometimes. Um, <laughs> not for myself. But I was at the store, and I was checking out. And I could uh, Every single... The, 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 the people and the women behind the counter at the checkout, they were the kindest, most welcoming, warm people I have encountered in a long time behind a counter at a store, and all they did was smile. All they did was just smile, and it was just unbelievable. It was like, the world is a good place sometimes, isn't it? It isn't all bad, is it? There is, there is hope still that it's going to be okay just from that smile. they were. Now, granted, we were paying the money. That doesn't hurt. But they didn't have to be, they were just over the top joyful, smiling. Do you ever think about that? That just simply smiling at a person can make their day. You know, I woke up today and I didn't know what kind of day it was going to be. I'm just, I'm, I'm, today wasn't that day for me. I'm just giving an example of... Man, I didn't know, uh, it's just, things are just going bad. And you just happened to just smile at me. You were just so happy to see me. It made all the difference. Gave me hope. You ever think about that? I I realize it might be kind of surfacing, like, come on, Dan, really? No, think about it. When have you encountered someone who just simply smiled at you and you're like, man, I just made my day. That has made my day. Do you know, church, we have the hope of the world. And that hope is here. That hope is here. And we have the opportunity, church, to not only go out and share that hope in proclaiming the gospel, in serving others, but we can simply proclaim that hope by just simply being kind and smiling even. That's what we can do. It's what we can do. It is such a simple thing and yet such a powerful thing. And I love it how the psalm repeats this. Oh, God, smile on us. Smile on us. Let me see that beautiful face. Church, we can do the same thing. So that's my challenge to you today. Today, when you leave this, even before you leave this place, would you just smile at someone? And don't be fake about it. I don't want none of that. Can you just, can we just, um, can we just be kind to each other? And more than that, can we just be kind to people out there? When when someone cuts you off in traffic, instead of being angry, the angry face, can you just, if you happen to see the person, because you, obviously, I don't know about you, but anytime someone cuts me, I want to see who did this. I want to see this person. If you do that and you pull up next to that person to see them, would you just, instead of being angry, just smile? Just smile. I know you think I'm. No, try it. It'll make you feel better as well as maybe even help you feel better about that person. Give hope, church. Give hope. Show the face of God, and not the one of judging, but the one where he smiles. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I can just picture you right now, Jesus. You're smiling because your people have gathered in this place, and your people have gathered around the world to come into your presence and to worship you and to give you honor and praise, And, and Jesus, you don't demand it, you don't require it. You desire it, and you allow us of our own free will to come to you and to praise you, Jesus. And when we do, I know, Jesus, it puts a smile on your face. I'm so grateful, Father, that I get to live in a world that while broken, while imperfect, while full of heartache and pain, that, Jesus, you are still here in the midst of it. You are here, Jesus. Hope is here, Jesus. Because you're smiling. I pray this morning, Jesus, for every single one of us who call you Lord and Savior, that we would do the same. That as you have smiled on us, Jesus, may we smile toward others. May we, knowing that hope is here within us, Show the world that hope is also out there because Jesus, this is your world, not ours. This is your creation, not ours. We are your people and we don't belong to anyone else. Thank you, Jesus. It's your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.
1: I want to invite you all to stand as we close our morning, and you know, just those last few minutes. I'm gonna need you to sing extra loud because I don't know if I don't trust my voice just after those last few minutes of just that image. I love it, um, and you know, since it's our first Sunday of Advent, we're gonna close with a Christmas song. So I want to hear. I'm as a teacher, I'm giving you permission to use your outside voices <laughs> on this song. So belt it out. joy to the world the lord is come let earth receive world the Savior reigns, let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. sin and sorrow grow nor thorns infest the ground he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found far as the curse is found far as
0: amen i want to leave you this morning with the following blessing and it's called the high priestly blessing it's a familiar blessing but i want to leave it with you this morning as we prepare to leave and now brothers and sisters may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you may the lord lift up his favor upon you and give you his peace amen god bless you all go in peace